0: Hi, everybody. We're in the back room of uh, <laughs> the Coggins at Chalet, live at Davos. Uh, and we're also got a uh, crew at Wipro and a crew at home uh, for the Disrupt TV show. So here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, our excellent producer, L, and some special guests, which we'll introduce all at once <laughs> after the uh, clip. So, all right, back to you, L. Let's get started.
1: All right. Three, two, one.
2: Welcome to a special edition of Disrupt TV. We're going live today uh, at the 2024 annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, which takes place uh, this month from the 15th to the 19th in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, I'm going to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong, who's the CEO of Constellation Research and author (laughs) of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, who's live in uh, Davos. Uh, This year's meeting is under the theme of rebuilding trust. This is the 54th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum. And under this theme of rebuilding trust, the meeting aims to restore collective agency and reinforce the fundamental principles of transparency, consistency, and accountability uh, among leaders. Now we have today on our show exceptional leaders covering variety of industries, variety of roles, I'm going to hand the mic to Ray, who's with this incredible group of extraordinary thought leaders, to introduce themselves, and we'll begin our show.
0: Ray, man, this is awesome. Man. We're, yeah, we're going we're to introduce uh, left to right here. So we'll start with you, Sandy, and then we'll okay. pass the mic over. So
1: Awesome. I am the COO of Unstoppable Domains, which is a digital identity company and the founder of Unstoppable Women of Web3 and AI. Thank you guys for having me again.
0: They're very cool.
2: Welcome, Sandy.
3: Greetings. I'm D- David Bray. I am a distinguished fellow and co-chair for the Loomis Innovation Council at the Simpson Center. Simpson Center was created in the late 80s. It is a non trying to prevent World War III. Wow.
4: wow. Hi, everyone. Rhonda Viteri here. I'm on several boards, one including Laureus Sports for Good, Nelson Mandela's Foundation, and I'm also a two-time author.
0: Very cool. And we're going to turn it over to our team over at uh, Wipro. Go ahead.
5: Hi, I'm Gora Kachako, Vice President uh, and Industry Leader for Life Sciences. Happy to be here.
0: Um, thank you for being here and back to our team here at of Chalet. We'll start with you, Perry.
5: Hi, I'm Perry Good. I'm the Chief Marketing and
6: Product Officer at data.org and our mission is to build the field of data for social impact for a more just equitable world in this moment of crisis. Pass me to Jim. I'm Jim Morris,
7: Simon, author uh, of a book called "Blindsided," that looks at disruption and uh, how it can turn industries upside down, and uh, focus on social as well.
0: Yeah, and Jim is the number one influencer at Davos this what? year. Yep, on Twitter by all numbers. I live in the world Economic Forum not They're in there, but that is the wow. point. So, so yeah, Savala, so turn it to you. What do you, what questions you got? Let's live here.
2: Well, the theme is uh, rebuilding trust. So I would love to hear from our guests who've been walking the streets of Davos and your your sense of how we as business leaders can help rebuild trust. And if you can give some examples and hopefully share with us how you're looking to add to the conversation.
0: Yeah, let's go to Perry first and then we'll come back here. I think it's a combination of
6: transparency and collaboration. I think in this world of greater scrutiny, the more we understand how AI systems are built, how our businesses are organized to support them and to engage with them and their effect on the consumers, I think the better, but that transparency has to be in digestible chunks, right? We can't just say, oh, here's, here's the underpinning of our AI model. We have to help people understand this new AI universe and how it works. And the second piece is collaboration. Data.org focuses on collaboration among private sector, government, philanthropy, social sector. So I think the more those systems, can come together to solve problems and engage with one another, the greater trust. And I think in the pandemic, we saw a collapse of trust to some degree. I think Ray touched on this at an earlier session today, where some institutions like government had less trust, some had more trust. And I think the more that data can speak to one another, the more that we can speak to another, the greater trust will be.
0: Very cool. we we'll go to David real quick. So
3: I would define trust as the willingness to be vulnerable to an actor you cannot directly control. That could be an organization, that could be a government, that could be an individual, that could be an entity or a machine. And here at Davos, my sense is everyone's talking about AI. Um, You can't really escape it. (laughs) Now, that said, we've had challenges about trust even before AI, in terms of trust in the internet, trust on information online, trust in cybersecurity. So we shouldn't just all rush to AI and say, now we got to magically solve AI trust there, but recognize it's part of a broader question, which is, as we go forward, how do we help people understand perceptions of competence, perceptions of integrity, perceptions of benevolence, and recognizing it is perception-based, and give them more agency to actually discover it themselves and build those relationships. The last thing I would say is Davos, obviously, is a very rare subset, and we, we do not want to assume we have the answers for everybody. If anything, what I would be interested in is, is how we can sort of move from here to broader conversations at the local level that bubble up, because it's going to be probably localized solutions versus one size that fits all. small.
7: Yeah
0: to you, Sandy? What have you seen?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I was on a a panel this morning on loneliness, and it was very fascinating to hear the research about how after COVID, people like in real life have lost a lot of the trust that they had in each other. And what can we do to get that connection back as well? Um, And my second panel today was on AI. So you just mentioned AI. Um, And one of the things we talked about is how the combination of technologies, blockchain, with AI can actually create verifiable trust. Um, so if you look at the definition of trust, you know it's something that is verifiable. And so we're seeing that um, if you use a digital identity to identify that you did post this picture or this video or this, you know, text or tweet or whatever it happens to be, then there's some sort of verification that can really work. Um, and this was the number one challenge that we saw from the CEOs that we chatted with this afternoon.
0: Wow. Hey, Gorka, uh, what do, what are you saying? So.
1: I would say
5: that one of the biggest things that we're seeing um, that's changing is everyone wants to take action. And so when we talk about trust, I think we all understand uh, to a large degree what the challenges are. Um, but now it's about bringing those parties together and truly, um, you know, putting their feet to the fire, to, so to speak, hmm. to ensure that uh, we are creating an equitable world and that is how we will build trust back. And I see that theme at least in the last two days at the World Economic Forum as well, which is talking more about equity as opposed to just about uh, problems uh, you know, in a general fashion. Right.
4: Ray, you know,
2: your thoughts. Rhonda. Oh, oh, Rhonda, sorry.
0: We'll go to Rhonda and then Jim.
4: Hi, everyone. If you walk down the streets here in Davos, the AI house is packed. That's an indication. It's red and white. There's a line out the door. But if you also look at every technology company, everyone's talking about AI. And if you're not a company, it seems if you don't talk about AI. So I want to challenge everyone and say, we need to educate people. We need to bring it back and educate the Congress, the political parties, everyone even more into all layers of society. Because who you talk to, it's different. They're scared, jobs, equitable. What does it mean with data security? So it's very interesting building trust. Do we have trust in each other? I'd like to challenge each other there without technology. So I'm all about building trust. We are seeing a lot like Sandy said about equality. That is a huge, huge topic. All the panels we get asked about is AI inequality, so more to come on that, but again, it's great first day about rebuilding trust, and Ray, shout out to you. You did a great job today on this, and people need to recognize that here at Cognizant and what you did with AI, because it was a bi-directional conversation.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we had a salon here uh, talking about AI and uh, trust in an age of AI. Jim, what about you? What thoughts have you seen? You've been traveling up and down the promenade.
7: Well, this morning, I was at a great breakfast with uh, Marsh McClellan and Mercer uh, looking at a global study around AI and uh, people uh, in organizations are quite fearful about uh, job loss. And uh, we tend to fear things as humans when we don't understand them. So about half the population is using. Uh, chat gpt and uh, chat gpt really popularized ai in the public consciousness i mean we've had ai for decades but it really exploded onto our public consciousness on november 30th of uh, last year of, uh, so 2022 but uh, we need training and to rhonda's point ceos think oh maybe 40 percent of my people need training but Um, This study showed that uh, everybody else thinks 97% of us need this screen. So really getting people familiar with it, with the technology, and then thinking about the applications. And I'd add one thing about psychological safety. If 60% of your staff feel they're gonna lose their job by implementing AI, um, how successful is the implementation gonna be? So saying nobody's gonna lose their job, this'll be an enhancement. Um, how do you create that psychological safety?
0: Yeah, there's definitely deep questions and, and what everyone's really thinking about is uh, how we take a much more mindful approach uh, to that responsibility around Trust uh, and and in AI. Uh, another point that actually was interesting, as, as we're as I'm digesting what we did in the salon earlier, is that we realized that, um, like all technologies, and you made this point as well, like all technologies, right? We, it's in the hands of the user. It's the hands of the humanity, right? And it's really what society does with those technologies. In this case, the rapid acceleration of the adoption of this technology has us scrambling to figure: can we catch up with the right policies, with the right, uh, I don't know. The right usages and use cases. Want to jump in on that a little bit? Sure. I actually
3: want to build on what Jim was saying, which is how do you do I think it's so key what he said about psychological safety in organizations and societies. And in fact, why we may be seeing some of the polarization we're having is that people are feeling unsafe, fearing fearful. And so it's easier to sort of go to their individual identity groupings as opposed to continue to coexist. And and I obviously we want to coexist. So uh, in a past life, I was CEO of the Federal Communications Commission for four years. They'd had nine CEOs in eight years. Always a great sign for CO number 10. <laughs> uh, and the good news is I lasted there four years. But while I was there, we did move things to the cloud, and we moved things to software as a service and platform as a service. And the FCC had some very manually intensive processes for handling, handling complaints and and so my biggest resistors when we moved to software as a service and platform as a service were the people that were doing things manually because all of a sudden instead of this taking seven days to do things it would only take at most 20 minutes and the individual themselves could submit the complaint they could track and they could see what's due now obviously that was the right thing to do for citizens so they could actually experience it but you also had to have empathy for those people that were used to doing their job a certain way for the last 15 years Um, interestingly enough Once it was finally rolled out, about three months later, they said this is the best thing that ever happened to us because now we can focus on these other jobs. Mm -hmm. But I do think you need to understand that leadership is the willingness to manage the friction associated with loss. It is completely different to management. Management is when you meet expectations. And we're going to need to have more empathetic leaders in this moment. Uh, Real quick, before we, we go on the next topic, I will say that another example of technologies being used poorly is in the area of disinformation. And if anything, one of the things I want to track is we are probably going to an era by 2030, if not sooner. It will be near impossible to distinguish what's authentic versus inauthentic online. Now, there'll be some tools to help discern it. But will everybody understand them and be able to figure out how to use them? Not clear. But in 2020, when COVID happened, if you search for COVID vaccine and you were in the United States and you were in a certain minority grouping, some of the top things that were referred to you, unfortunately, were both inaccurate and may have been paid for by a foreign country. And so that was not using AI, but that's where we're going into, which is how can you trust when you see online? Do you know if it's actually one, authentic generated by a human or not? And then two, was a machine involved in delivering it to you for some end that's benevolent or less than benevolent? Wow.
1: Sandy, you want to jump in could Just real quick. One of the things that I think that we're not talking about a lot, um, is the culture and the leadership required to bring AI at such a fast speed. So we tend to talk a lot about the technology itself and what is the technology going to do. But how do you lead in this new world, in this new world of AI? How do you lead? How do you, what culture do you create? And I think all of these questions are actually more important than the technology itself. And I, and I, you know, as I've gone to the AI health here and Axis and AI sessions, nobody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about the tech, not the leadership, not the culture, which we also need to address.
4: Thank you, Sandy, for saying that. I'm doing a keynote on that Thursday, Ooh, all about change management, be <laughs> um, because no one is actually talking about the leadership required for this. This is not your traditional CIO, CTO, president or CEO this is about change management and bringing folks on the journey, not burning the furniture for costs. Wow.
3: Can we get a and I think if I, could,
5: if I could just add to it, I think being purpose-driven is all the more critical now. So your use cases really matter. And I genuinely believe this, that to truly be purpose-driven and to amplify impact No one company can do it alone. So coming back to that point of trust, identifying the right use cases, then identifying the right partners and having the humility to know that you're not going to get it right the first time. But staying the course is the most critical thing. And that's how you will build the culture and the leadership and everything else that comes along um, with that end in sight.
2: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Perry, did you have something you wanted to add?
5: Yeah, I was I was going in the same direction as Sandy,
6: but really this idea of leading through uncertainty is one I think we need to embrace. And I think a little bit of the challenge of trust in AI is that every single company is going out with messaging, you know, we're reliable, we're quality, we're clear, we're you know, scaling, easy to use, end to end. But all the software terms that seem relatively innocuous when applied to an implementation of Lotus Notes in the 90s, when applied mm. to this transformative part of AI, I think there is an element of, you know, marketers are going to market, she says as a marketer, but I do think there is an element in which leaders have to acknowledge that we're on an uncertain journey and we have to go on it together. And I think a little bit of the employee fear from the session you mentioned today comes from the pay no attention to the man behind the yellow curtain kind of messaging we're giving to employees and customers. Like we've got this. Nobody's got this. We're figuring it out. We're on the journey together.
2: Okay, so let's uh, let's have a common definition of perhaps trust since that's the theme My favorite definition of trust comes from uh, Rachel Botsman, a lecturer at Oxford, who talked about the ingredients for trust. And she said it's competence and character. And she further broke down competence into you have to be reliable and capable, both. And then you have demonstrated competence. And then character, she defined with integrity and the word Dr. Bray just used, benevolence. What are your intentions? in terms of what you think, what you say, and what you do. So the combination of capability, reliability, integrity, and benevolence. There's also science in terms of trustworthiness, changing mindsets, and building consensus, where you use these delicious ingredients. But while you're baking this fantastic cake, you have to show authenticity. You have to show observability. So as we heard about use cases, help us demonstrate and, uh, and help us observe benefits of such emerging technologies like AI, and lastly, repeatability. You can't just be a one-time advocate for something. You have to consistently show that there's habit. It's like that grit and grind, the best-selling book <laughs> that speaks to it. You can't be an ultra marathon or overnight. You have to practice. You have to put in the reps. So my question is, you got 1,600 businesses at this event. You've got 800 CEOs. Do you feel after two days of being at Davos that these CEOs are demonstrating benevolence, integrity, reliability, capability? Do you see observability where use cases actually show benefits of technologies we're talking about? What are what are your proof points that we are actually potentially rebuilding trust as a result of this, this event? Ray, start with you. <laughs>
3: well, how about I, I'll take the bullet for Ray because I think Ray yeah, was looking to be to jump that grenade. So, you know, it's a Ray and Bray show. Uh, anyway, um, I would say, Vala, one really great sort of positing of the issues. And if anything, maybe the value of Davos is beginning to sort of let people realize that it's both a journey, and the journey that you thought you were on, which was maximizing shareholder value, is only one thing you need to do. There is much more you need to do in this period of uncertainty, as, as Perry said that we're going into. Um, that said, you know, sort of thinking about what you were talking about in terms of character and thinking of benevolence in terms of repeatability, think about with the journey of what companies do with or without AI. Do you involve your customers in how their data is both collected and how it's used? Do you involve them in how technology is done with them as opposed to to them? Uh, I I would love to see us get off the idea that data is the new oil that's meant to be hoarded and it's not something that you're supposed to involve people with. So I think there's a lot of old ways of doing things in the last 2010 era and even the early 2020s that we need to let go of. At the same time, think about how we can actually involve people in the process. And again, recognizing that different parts of the world will have different value sets that they want to apply to this. It's not going to be monolithic. The last thing I will say is, again, uh, amplify the idea that this is not at all about the tech. If anything, it's 20% about the tech. It's 80% about the people. And I think in the past, we could have had multiple <laughs> decades to get it right. But now we've got to get it right in a very short period of time, else there may be m- massive upheaval. The question is, how do we engage our boards? How do we engage our employees? How do we engage the public to have that patience to say, we are going to do a first attempt at iterative learning? That's FAIL. Yeah. F-A-I-L. There's going to be a second attempt, third attempt, and fourth attempt. But can you come with us on this journey as we learn iteratively together for Benevolent Ends?
0: Okay, let's not rag on llamas, but keep going. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go the other route. Um, I'd like right, the acronym. Actually, back to your question, Bala. actually. I think the biggest challenge right now is organizations don't know what they don't know in terms of how much data they need, and they don't know what level of precision they need to get to a level their stakeholders are going to trust. And, and I think that, that's the biggest challenge right now is like, well, who do I partner with? How do I get that information? Like, what insights? What are the give-get models? Are there marketplaces that people are going to connect with each other on to create industry value chains around data? And, and I think that's what a lot, a lot of the conversations with people like at the corporate level was like, how do we solve that specific set of problems? So
3: Ray, can I ask you one question? Real quick. Do you, Ray and Vala, actually both of you. Right now, if you went to a company and said, this is going to be hard, I don't have a single magical answer or silver bullet that's going to solve everything to you, but I will help you in the journey. Are companies even hiring for people that come with that more nuanced answer versus the ones that say, we're absolutely sure, yes, we can hit that quarterly target within the next three months?
2: the founder of my company in both of his books devoted chapters to a beginner's mindset where you you don't approach any problem solving with an expert mindset. You, you approach it with curiosity, free of prejudice, interested uh, you improve your listening as you go through the process. So I would, I would warn anyone watching. I think the experts of the past may not be the experts of tomorrow. Anytime I'm referred to as an expert, I, I have like a rash uh, because I first of all I, I already fight with imposter syndrome, but when somebody elevates me to a point where I know I'm not, a, you know, I read the Accenture Tech Vision report about the four different types of LLMs, and I realized, my God, I only thought about three different paths. I did so I had a complete blind spot on on how do we even create these models of the future. So every time i think i know a lot i learn uh, 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 you know every time i learn a little i realize there's so much more that i need to learn so to answer your question be wary of anybody that that carries the label expert that, that's my humble opinion uh, ray your thoughts or anyone else do oh,
1: you want to go Rhonda, or do you want me to go I was okay. You a mic. okay okay um i was just going to add in cuz you asked for specific examples uh, bala of you know, yes. how we've seen this at Davos so far. So yesterday I got invited to the Hundred Women of Davos, which is, you know, a very special group run by Dr. Anino. And one of the things we did at the dinner is we kind of geeked out on some of these questions. And there were country leaders there. Um, you know, the past leader from Iceland was there, and she was talking to us about a whole set of things. There were leaders from Germany, from the US. From all over the globe, Singapore. And I thought it was really fascinating with the questions they asked. I learned so much from the questions they were asking, which were along the lines of how do we rebuild trust? How fast should we go? What should we teach our citizens? Which I thought was fascinating. Um, And then this morning, we had an entire um, roundtable that really dove into it with company CEOs. So my roundtable had 10 CEOs. And I would say all but one, and I'm not going to say who the one is, but all but one, we're asking these questions: um, What should the culture be? What should the leadership be? How do we how do we address this? It was very unusual, I would say, mm. but I think they're now starting to get some of these big questions that that Vala you just asked about, and Ray talked about as well. Yeah,
2: true. So,
0: let's See if uh, anyone else want to add to that. Uh, if not, yeah, what I want to do I'm, is uh,
1: okay.
0: jump in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Please, please I, I was just
5: going to say real quick, you know, I I think we're going through a revolution. It's just like we went through the industrial revolution. A.I. is that game changer for us. And I think the theme of the know-it-alls, like you all have said, is no longer in existence. And I think all the leaders who are looking at things with humility and we have seen that in other panels, in discussions that individuals are saying, look, we don't have all the answers, but collectively we can solve this. And I think if we keep to that point, given all the data that we have about the hyper polarization that we're seeing in our industry, i mean, say I'm a glass half full kind of person. I genuinely believe we can solve this
1: and
7: build the trust. Uh- I agree completely that this is a revolution and that uh, AI, GPT, generative AI, will have uh, as big an impact that the birth of the web had in 1993. But the rate of change is so much faster. And this is why we can't uh, do what we've done in the past. It requires a whole new mindset. And I'll give you one example. I was, uh, Ray and I were at CES in Las Vegas. And I was listening to the keynote from the CEO of Intel, and he was saying productivity use cases are 10x, 100x, 1,000x, 10,000x. And I thought I paused for a second. Are we getting the Gartner hype cycle here? Like, is he overselling it? And then I thought back to a conference I was at called NextMed. And uh, PhD students in the medical discipline will study the interactions of proteins to understand the precursors to cancer. And it will take one PhD student an entire year to do all the permutations of a single protein. Well, AI has given us 640 million years of understanding of these protein interactions. So like we stand on the shoulders of This giant AI. So that I then began to think oh, yeah, that's a 10,000x use case in productivity.
0: And Jim, and Jim is actually right. So, okay. Yeah, so Jim, you're actually right, and we have a special guest here too. Uh, if you pop in, uh, we've got Ravi Kumar, the uh, CEO of Cognizant here. So, uh, but the question I want to pose you real quickly is: I the was just fact-
8: walking by, and he caught me.
2: <laughs> in my it's part Disrupt TV. <laughs> There's only a hundred thousand people tuning in. Don't worry about it.
8: <laughs> what
0: are you? What are you seeing, right, in terms of AI? Where's it headed for you?
8: You know, I'll tell you what. Um, when you take, uh, I mean, he's put me on his spot asking me a question and putting me on a show which I was not supposed to be on, (laughs) but um, uh, I can tell you two or three things uh, which we are seeing when you take AI enterprise grade. Uh, The first is the accuracy of the models is continuing to be the biggest bottleneck from taking from prototyping to uh, production-grade AI, if I may. I mean, the accuracy of the models can, you know, you can do reinforced learning. You could uh, you know, constrain it to a domain on the data. You could make it much more, uh, much more closer to that, but it's still one of the challenges. The second, I would say, is the cost to performance ratios. Uh, I mean, cost to performance ratios is the biggest issue uh, when you take it from prototyping to production grade. Uh, the third, I would say, is um, how do you intertwine it With more cognitive capabilities. Because generative AI is not as good on quantitative methods. When you have to take use cases, you you get a combination of uh, uh, things you you can do on generative AI, and then you you have to combine it with quantitative methods from traditional uh, AI models. The traditional AI models are very different to generative AI models. Um, the last piece I would say in the mix is is skilling Uh, I mean it's one of those unique tools which is an equalizer for the world Uh, all uh, all technologies of the past have helped the productive this is one of the few technology disruptions which is helping the less productive Uh, so how do you actually how do you actually uplift and create that mobility is a very unique uh,
0: opportunity, Robbie. Thank you so much for being here. I know we put you on the spot. Let's thank go back you. to the wide shot. And uh, <laughs> thanks for your words of thank wisdom you. here. So.
8: Thank you so much. Good
2: to see you. Thank you so yeah. much, Robbie. Sure. So let, let's ex- let's expand on that on that topic of reskilling because one of the other major themes at Davos 2024 is creating growth and jobs in the new era and the question that's being asked of the attendees is how can government business and society come together around new economic framework to avoid a decade uh, of low growth and put people at the center of a more prosperous trajectory what are your thoughts about the power of not just ai but other emer- emerging technologies that are being discussed to help fuel economic growth and perhaps new set of jobs and skills that all of the businesses that are at Davos, the 1,600 businesses, will benefit from in the future?
4: Well, I think it's important, Vala, that we understand that it's here. We will have automation. It will will automate jobs. That's number one. The reality is here. We do need to upskill. So how do you go about that? First, identify, yes, we need to upskill. But identify your talent. What skills do they have? Are they learnable? Are you actually certifying them? Are you teaching them? Are you letting them have the time and actually talk to your employees and say, what do you want to do? A lot of leaders don't even ask that. What do you want to do in this new technology era? It's like cloud was a buzzword. We all know that, right? Now it's AI, but we do need to upskill. That means investing in your employees. And if you're not investing
2: in them, they will walk.
3: Let me let me and follow up with that quick, question. Uh, can I, oh, sorry, yeah, just I was going to build real quick. Good
2: well Rhonda has been responsible for 23 mergers and acquisitions so my question to you put your acquisition hat on if you're in the process of vetting a company to potentially acquire them, what would be a sign for you to walk away from the deal uh, how would you how would you know they're preparing their employees for this new AI powered economy?
4: Vala, I would ask the I would actually do due diligence a merger playbook, talk to the employees, not just HR, but talk to the leadership all the way down, skip levels, and ask them very frankly, and we do. Um, and if they're honest, I look for that immediately. If someone says, no, we're not ready, we haven't been invested, uh, we welcome that. I'd much rather know that. And actually, it's a positive. It's not a negative. I would say, I can. we can work with this team instead of a bunch of know-it-alls. Oh, we know it, we know it, we know it. But what's your talent plan? Do you have a career path framework? Is HR even have a career path framework? Do they know what that means? A lot of companies don't. So I, like I look that. for that. Thank you, Vala. Yeah. Radical uh, Vala.
5: sorry, can I go next? Sure, I go actually ahead. need to drop after this. I'm posting sure, a panel at <laughs> five. <laughs> uh, so my apologies. I, I would just add that. Um, so for example, at Ripro, we are upskilling all our employees on AI. So that's 220,000 plus individuals. And the reason for that is if you go out and you're going to, as a services organization, say, hey, look, we can help you with your AI journey, the first thing is to look inwards, right? And there's so much that AI can do for us at VIPRO. And does that mean that jobs are getting disrupted? Absolutely. But look, we're learning if an HR recruiter's job is getting disrupted, we're upskilling them to do more of the, um, you know, nuanced recruiting, so to speak, um, and so I would say that the first thing to do with upskilling is to look in worse, um, and for all the leaders out there to upskill your workforce.
2: Fantastic well, that's great stuff here. Thank um, you so um, much. We're going
0: to leave really soon. David, real quick, and then Sandy. Okay. And, uh, we'll I will keep this really quick, because I think
3: One of the things that Vala touched on with his statement was the recognition that there's actually multiple revolutions going on. We talked a lot about AI, but there's also synthetic biology. There's also commercialization of space, 45 billion network devices on the face of the planet relative to 8 billion people. So we could easily have another disruptive show talking about how, what does it mean when you have multiple revolutions happening at the same time? Again, building on the themes of how do you involve both employees? but also citizens, and citizens that may actually be citizens of the world versus a specific country. That said, we've all got to do it in the next year, so it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was essentially, I want to agree with you because when I, one of the things I was going to say is that people are looking at these technologies in silos today, and I don't think that's the right way to look at them. I mean, I think you have to look at what's happening with blockchain, with quantum. I was in a quantum session today and AI. I mean, there's so many spatial computing that are going on and to separate them is to do a disservice, I think, to your team's to your people, to citizens, regardless of who you're looking at. So I do think you have to look at all these technologies and how they will converge and how they will help each other and how they also might hurt each other as well.
0: Yeah. And while and I would say like the mood is optimistic. Um, and I think the, mindful. Uh, the, the optimists
2: results. create the future. The pessimists may is- sound smarter, but it's the optimists that create the future. So I like that. Go ahead.
0: It's optimistic. It's mindful. And I think people are starting to realize what, what levels of caution they need to do. So, Yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody here. I think we've lost panelists along the way. Uh, This is
2: what happens. (laughs) I I have such fear of missing out after this (laughs) session. Thank you, Sandy Cotter. Thank you, Perry Hewitt. Thank you, Jim uh, Harris. Thank you, Dr. Bray, always. Thank you, Rhonda, for your extraordinary insights. Ravi uh, Kumar, CEO of Cognizant, as our surprise uh, guest. And, of course, (laughs) Baraka Gecko. Thank you so much for... Your shared wisdom, uh, you've expanded my mind, and you've es- established even more trust in 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 our in our in our partnership. So thank you so much, and Ray, thank you for putting all this together. I saw you burn quite a bit of calories just getting the our guests <laughs> <laughs> ready. Well, oh, we got to get service. out of here.
0: think there's a, an amazing reception here with uh, Mr. Ramaswamy. If he actually the comes out here, here, come <laughs> up here. I guess, uh, we get some amazing people here. Uh, one more person, and we'll get out here. You're on live with Disrupt TV, 50,000 people. Vala, let's, see, uh, let's say hi. Give yeah, you mic and say hello.
8: Hello, everyone. Yeah. Here with Ray. What are you hosting <laughs> today? We are hosting a sundowner here at the Cognizant Pavilion. Uh, we expect a full house of people to come network, uh, share their stories at Davos, and see what tomorrow holds. Sure, very good. Hey, thank you for being
0: here. We're going to close out the show. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks for a special you know. edition of Davos here. Uh, live here at the World Economic Forum at the Cognizant Chalet on Promenade 68. Come by and visit.
2: I miss you all. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. You. <laughs> <Nice to laughs>
7: you all.